Realtors reveal what newcomers want to know when they want to move to Bloomington Normal. Which town is better or worse? Like, which one should I pick? There's got to be a big difference. How realtors answer that question, coming up on WGLT's Welcome Home series on Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm John Norton. On today's show, the town of Normal considers what type of housing will be a part of Uptown South. It could be apartments or condos or townhomes. City Manager Pam Reese discusses whether affordable housing could be part of that mix. Plus, a psychology expert explains what causes us to fear. That seems to be something that we as humans learn pretty easily. And why nature revenge movies have us hooked. Those stories follow a Bloomington Normal News update, which is just ahead. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Hear My Story continues with local patient Ryan Fuller and his mother Stephanie. It was definitely worth it. It was evident from the get-go that they were so caring and compassionate and patient (laughs) with a young guy like him. (laughs) Ryan and Stephanie's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. From the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. Some of the first people to encounter newcomers to Bloomington Normal are realtors. In the latest installment of our Welcome Home series, WGLT's Charlie Schlenker reports on what transplants to the Twin Cities most want and the stuff realtors think would be helpful for them to know. Newcomers to Bloomington Normal can be a mirror to the community. The things they want, the things they value, offer insight for people who already live in the Twin Cities. Each helps the other to a better understanding of what it is to be in the Twin Cities. Realtors are in a unique position to facilitate that, and there is one thing most newcomers want to know. They want to know about schools. Realtor Amanda Wyckoff says the presumption is one school district is markedly better than others. And she says that's really not the case. Wyckoff and other realtors say they point buyers to state websites for school building data. Realtor Monica Bullington says newcomer preconceptions extend to the quality of the two cities entirely. And they always want to know, well, what's the good one? Or like, which town is better or worse? Like, which one should I pick? There's got to be a big difference. And we that live here know there's really not a huge difference. What people come in asking for and what Bullington thinks is important may also be different things. I'm always trying to find out how do they spend their weekends and then that way I can tailor everything to them from what kind of food do they like to eat? You know, do they like Indian food? Well, great, I can give you three recommendations off the top of my head. The festivals that Uptown has, what weekends, you know, are going to be busy for that. That to me is more impressive than anything. Some realtors say they make a point of taking out-of-town buyers on a community tour. Minu Baskar shows different neighborhoods. She often works in a school visit, restaurants, and the Illinois State and Illinois Wesleyan University campus areas. This takes the whole day for us, but it gives them a very good sense of belonging, a feel if they whether they will like it or they don't like it. Bhaskar says the order of the tour depends on their needs, whether it's cultural life, schools, or urban living. Amanda Wyckoff was born and grew up in Bloomington Normal, but was away for seven years in London and L.A. When she came back and started her realty business, Wyckoff says she had fresh eyes and appreciated how many locally owned restaurants had sprung up in her absence. 
She says her palate didn't suffer. We have, of course, Uptown Normal and Downtown Bloomington, which have great opportunities to eat. Uh, one of my favorite restaurants is the Mystic Kitchen and Tasting Room in um, downtown Bloomington, which is right across from the McLean County History Museum. The food is great, and um, it's owned by two gals who are wine experts. But yes, and Medici is also a nice option. Uh, Epiphany Farms, their group has expanded. Wyckoff says she sees the community as well-cultured with a variety of performance options, from the Coliseum to the Bloomington Center for the Performing Arts to the Castle Theater and smaller venues. Monica Bullington says she makes a point to go beyond what newcomers can find themselves by Googling. I want to show them the hidden gems. It's really easy to find, like, the chain restaurants. What's not easy to find is, oh, you know, White Oak Park is, like, a great place to watch the sunset and then, like, walk over to Carl's and get ice cream. Those are the things that will really enrich their experience and their lives here. Bullington says she tells transplants about the accessibility to walking and biking trails, about walking to Uptown Normal for music on summer nights, first Fridays in the farmer's markets in downtown Bloomington. There are little tips, too, like get up early on Saturday because the peaches sell out early at the farmer's market. Minu Boscar says newcomers tend to want the same things they have in the communities they come from. Mostly I have seen from People coming from Ohio, Michigan, moving here, they are more open to the areas. I have noticed suburban kind of. They don't want like a condo or city. They want a yard. So there is a difference. And there are differences in regional sensibilities in those coming to town. We hear two different talks because when people are coming from California, they're expecting more on the art side what the city has to offer. Is there any museum? Is there any uh, drama places and all that? Versus people who are coming from Michigan is different questions we get from them. Right now, realtors say they see a lot of West Coast people, California and Washington State. A fair number come from Michigan, a few from Las Vegas. All those tend to be Rivian transplants. There are still state farm transfers from their regional hubs in the South and West. Higher ed folks and doctors come from all over. Ferrero transplants haven't started much yet. And Monica Bullington says not only are there cultural differences between Michigan and California, those places are very very different than the mid-American values that still persist in Bloomington Normal. <laughs> Transplants are so surprised at how nice we are. Um, our ability to make eye contact with everybody that we pass on the sidewalk. <laughs> Bullington says some things townies take for granted come as a surprise to incoming residents. Livability, drivability, for instance. When I tell people you can get to the other side of town on a busy day in 20 minutes, they're shocked by that. Counterintuitively, Bullington says people moving into the community might actually be more adventurous and open to some activities that happen in areas of the community they don't frequent than townies are, just because they're used to a larger community. And if they want to branch out, Bullington says the Twin Cities are always right in the middle of how to get to somewhere else. It's two hours to Chicago by Amtrak, an easy drive to St. Louis or Indianapolis, and air service, Bullington says, is pretty neat too. I love telling people how amazing our airport is. The fact that you can go through security in about 30 seconds at Sierra 
and it's the most painless airport experience you'll ever have. Amanda Wyckoff emphasizes parks and recreational opportunities. Plus we have the Children's Discovery Museum in Uptown Normal. Um, I will take them to Raider Farms because that is the epitome of the Midwest, you know, pumpkin picking and all that jazz. Wyckoff says locals think of ISU and IWU, but she tells Transplants Heartland Community College has come a long way too. They have the um, Challenger Learning Center, which I think is wonderful, but they're always trying to expand and do great things, and the campus is huge, and it's just beautiful. Realtors say that mix of higher education and traditional business strength of the community in State Farm makes the Twin Cities unlike most other mid-sized communities. With the addition of the manufacturing jobs brought by Rivian, Monica Bullington says it's an unusual mix in a small space. Having this really white-collar community, but also really being known for being a college town, too, yeah, it's interesting to explain to people, well, you're going to have a lot of students, but you're going to have a lot of, you know, insurance people <laughs> hanging out in the same place. Minu Baskar was once a newcomer as well, a transplant more than two decades ago. Within 10 days, the feeling just came to me. My gut started saying, oh, I belong to this place. It just gives me a feeling of security. Since then, I have never looked anywhere else. And like Bhaskar, for most of these newcomers, realtors say, Bloomington Normal will become a welcoming home. I'm Charlie Schlenker. This story, part of WGLT's ongoing series, Welcome Home, aimed at helping those who have recently moved to Bloomington Normal learn about the community. You can find all the stories in this series, plus a link to our Facebook group, Just for Transplants, at WGLT.org slash welcome. Tomorrow on Sound Ideas, we'll give you a couple of stories to sink your teeth into. A new restaurateur in Bloomington Normal discusses his love of hospitality and the long-awaited return of pancake days. This is Sound Ideas on WGLT. The draft of the Uptown South Master Plan in Normal includes space for housing. City Manager Pam Reese says the plan presents an opportunity for builders to explore non-standard models of housing. In this interview with WGLT's Charlie Schlenker, Normal City Manager Pam Reese says once the council approves the plan, staff will try to find developers for the site. I'm confident there'll be interest from developers from all across the spectrum. of It could be apartments or condos or townhomes for recently graduated students who want to continue to reside in the community, maybe just starting out in their career. could be empty nesters. It could be more affordable housing. And we've talked to prospective developers like the Laborers International, the Lyona group that does affordable housing. And, and so I think there'll be quite a, quite a broad group of interest. I think what we'll have to do is just pull people together and figure out how to make it happen. Developers often have trouble coming up with projects that are for affordable housing. One way to slice that Brad, is to have requirements for a certain percentage of affordable units within a larger project. Does right. the town have a well-developed sense of where it wants to go on that front? Not at this point. We don't. That would be a little bit premature. Developers like the Slyuna program. Um, sometimes they do developments that are a mix, affordable and market rate. So, um, there's different strategies and, and different ways to, to get it done. We just haven't got that far along yet. 
How does a, a housing project go with another large format building that could have a public use? How will that fit together in that relatively small space of Uptown South? You can fit quite a bit on seven to seven and a half acres. Town staff works with developers and architects and engineers who are quite adept at figuring out how to efficiently use space and also build in the amenities and strategies that are important. Green space, stormwater runoff solutions, uh, trails for walking and biking and things like that. So we just haven't gotten to that point yet. So one of the elements of the plan that that, uh, the consultant Doug Farr mentioned was to plan for an all-electric environment, so not natural gas anymore. That seems a bit aggressive to where society is today. Is that something that that, uh, the council or the town staff can get behind? It certainly is intriguing. I can only say somebody with a crystal ball might be able to know if eight to 10 years from now, if that's typical. Those conversations will be very interesting to have with council. I can tell you when we originally adopted the overall Uptown Renewal Plan 20 years ago, that plan implemented or required design standards such as LEED, being a leadership in energy and environmental design for efficiency and sustainability. That was very out of the ordinary. Now, here we are 20 plus years later, and that's how buildings are built. This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. We're talking with the city manager of the town of Normal, Pam Reese. How does the plan conform with the town's current goal of paying down existing town debt? It's going to require significant public investment to get this leveraged into private investment, too. Is that something that the town has capacity to do? Uh, That sets aside the will to do question, which is, of course, a council issue. The current area that we're talking about, the Uptown South, is included in the Uptown TIF. And the Tax Increment Financing District does present incentives for development. The challenge is, though, that the TIF is going to expire. The public investment side of things, like the roads, stormwater, you know, all the the infrastructure that's going to be required, that too will require town staff to look at the entire spectrum. You know, I'm not going to rule out debt, but that certainly has not been part of our conversation. But I can tell you, developing Uptown South at seven to eight acres is very different than what took place on the north side of the tracks, where we uh, reconstructed streets and we completely built all new storm and sanitary sewer and the like and and water and buildings and and all sorts of infrastructure. On On the south side of the tracks, does it require construction of roads, basically pavement, stormwater, and the like, yes, but probably not to the extent that we was required on the, north, on the north side. And because this is a longer-term plan, it does give us an opportunity to find solutions for that. Um, could it be a combination of grant dollars and our local tax dollars? Absolutely. And we've been pretty successful in securing state and federal grants for a lot of projects. From the initial feedback from the council, does the draft plan need any further tweaking before it comes back to the council? The only tweak that I'm aware of is a slight modification in terms of reflecting some on-street parking. But otherwise, I think it's pretty close to being ready to present to council. 
The Bloomington Normal Economic Development Council recently came out with a new positioning campaign, a new image campaign. What is the town staff's reaction to that and how it fits into the existing efforts by the town to position itself? The new campaign is Life Multiplied, which I think that's a wonderful slogan. And I think the theme behind it is to attract workforce to this community, to attract investment in this community. I think the theme and the strategy are really on point. I'm excited about it. I think it's a great complement to what the town of normal does. We try to push out a lot of information on social media and we try to, you know, share with interested stakeholders, residents, guests um, about all that's happening here in normal. So I think it's a good supplement to what we're doing. And I think their goal of enhancing and expanding workforce is going to be successful. That's Normal City Manager Pam Reese speaking with WGLT's Charlie Schlenker. If you think Hollywood only makes sequels and comic book movies these days, you are in for a treat this weekend. And this is our final story on Sound Ideas today. The new movie, Cocaine Bear, goes into wide release tomorrow. And yes, it's about a bear that devours misplaced cocaine and then goes on a bloody rampage. Playing off that renewed interest in Animals Gone Wild, the normal theater is screening two of its own nature run amok films on Saturday, Wild Beasts and Psycho Ape. WGLT's Ryan Denham spoke with ISU psychology professor Eric Wesselman and Adam Fox from the Normal Theater about the screenings. Wesselman explains what is so appealing about the genre. There are um, lots of things to fear in horror films. These horror films focus on natural fears. Right? We don't need to worry about the hypothetical ghosts or hockey mask killers that may be lying in wait. No, there's plenty of, from nature to fear. <laughs> You're a psychology professor here at ISU, and you you always find these sort of interesting psychological threads uh, in the, the nooks and crannies of, of pop culture. So what's most interesting uh, to you about the, the psychology of these revenge of nature films? The emotion of, of fear uh, is something that is global, right? It's something that seems to be you know wired into us as a species, no matter where we live, no matter what our cultural backgrounds are. Um, what we learn to fear oftentimes, you know, takes much more nuance depending upon uh, the backgrounds that we're raised in. But things like fearing predators, right? And I'm talking about, you know, like animal predators, not the alien versus uh, situation. That seems to be something that we as humans learn pretty easily, right? I mean, largely we talk about fear, learning what to fear as a sort of a conditioning type thing. But we uh, seem predisposed to pick up fears about natural predators uh, more quickly than we do about supernatural creatures or something like that. Your screenings are, are well-timed um, in a couple of ways, but one is that Cocaine Bear uh, is, is another film that's coming out. A bear did cocaine! What did you feel when you watched the trailer for Cocaine Bear? <laughs> I felt many emotions when I watched the trailer for Cocaine Bear, uh, but the number one one was excitement, to be honest with you. I think it was just so absurd, and I love that movies like that can be made nowadays. I, I love that someone can take a rather ridiculous conceit and and put together what looks like actually a really well-crafted film. It looks like it's an awful lot of fun. You know, I just love that it takes things to the extreme, and it looks like it's equal parts um, uh, horror and comedy and, and, and bundling it together in the absurd, which I think is, is a great 
great way of presenting all of that. What would you say are your favorites when it comes to the revenge of nature genre? Uh, well, I mean, for me, you always go back to Jaws, right? I mean, that's going to be the one that most people think of when it uh, when you think about nature uh, trying to, to have dominion and, and, and the fear that comes from the unknown of something lurking just below the surface at any time. You're going to need a bigger boat. But, you know, there are moments from movies that are actually occurring to me uh, that play to that as well. Um, the Perfect Storm is not a horror film by any stretch of the imagination, but that giant cresting wave and the ship trying to fight its way up and will it get over or not is one of those images that stuck with me for decades of just this horrifying sense of this is too big. <laughs> Nature is too big, and there, that's not an enemy that you can just stare down. And no matter how much we, we may think that we uh, own the environment, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> that we are ultimately much smaller than than any of this. And uh, if nature, whether it be an apex predator or um, a natural disaster, you know, chose, I'm going to sort of anthropomorphize here, uh, but if it chose to, to take us to task, revenge of nature and nature gone amok, whatever you want to call, it can have so many tendrils. Right in different in different movies, depending upon what the threats are. So you know, Cocaine Bear, Jaws, right? These are dealing with real large predators. In one case, one is you know on a mind altering substance. Um, we don't know that Jaws was not on cocaine. We don't. Well, know. this is true. This is true. Um, uh, yes, I will retract that statement. Um, but there are other films like Arachnophobia, right, where these are very very small creatures. Um, that that uh, have very very powerful uh, poisons, and you know can sort of get under the radar, and we don't even notice that you know death is encroaching. Adam, genre camp like this, why is this the type of type of films that you? like to show at the normal theater. Why does this need to be part of the mixer? Well, I think that everybody has their own favorite film, and they're all right, right? Whatever your favorite film is, that's the correct answer. And we have been seeing over the course of the last few years a real attraction to these genre films, these niche films that do look at some of these more um, curious aspects of filmmaking, some things that maybe are off the beaten path. So we love to sh still show classics. We love to still show all of the award winners. But we also love to maybe say, okay, here's some films that you haven't seen. Or if you have seen it, you haven't had the chance to see it on the big screen which is how it was intended in the first place. And you're not just showing the films. You're going to have uh, some, some guests and some other things going on with this? Yeah, we're really excited um, about this. It's a, a great opportunity to be able to bring in uh, both the distributor, uh, Severn Films, and also the filmmaker on Psycho Ape. It's a really lovely chance to be able to, uh, I guess, peel back the curtain a little bit for folks. We love it whenever we can do that, when we have the chance to bring in uh, talent associated with the film to have a conversation about how the film was made or how the film uh, has is distributed and how that side of the things work or um, the enduring legacy of these films and why a film from 1981 is perhaps still resonating with us or from the 30s or whatever it may be. That's Adam Fox from the Normal Theater and ISU psychology professor Eric Wesselman speaking with WTLT's Ryan Denham. The Normal Theater screenings of Nature Run Amok Films, Wild Beasts, and Psycho Ape are Saturday night in Uptown. Find tickets and more at normaltheater.com. And that is how we end Sound Ideas today. WGLT's news magazine is made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton with story help today from WGLT's Charlie Schlanker twice and Ryan Denham. The show produced by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 FM, WGLT and WGLT.org, part of the NPR Network.